Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Juliana Forlano. This is the Political Voices Network. We got a great show for you today. Of course, we're going to start off with the headlines where we cover some of the The big news of the week. Of course, we're going to talk about the indictments. We're going to talk about my favorite story, which came out of Montana this week. A little bit of good news. And then we're going to cover some uh, shenanigans going down in Der Fuhrer DeSantis land about education. And then I've got a great guest who's talking about something else that's happening in education. I don't want to be too cryptic here, but I also don't want to give it away. That's happening in California. That is the exact positive opposite of the negative stuff that's happening in Florida. So we've got a fight on our hands. It's going to be a great show. I hope you'll stick with me. First up, the headlines. Obviously, the biggest story of the week, the BFD news, was, hmm, well, how can I put this? The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for some votes to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind, and he was willing to make a deal. But that deal is crashing in all around him and his buddies in the form of indictments. The orange devil went down to Georgia, and now he and 18 of his former henchmen have been indicted by a grand jury in Atlanta. Thank you, Atlanta. Thank you, grand jury. Thank you, Fannie Willis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing your best to hold this man to account. Anyway, he's being indicted for orchestrating a criminal enterprise to reverse the 2020 election. I am highly enthusiastic about how all the good people are fighting back against the death cult that is marching upon us in this country. And I do think Donald Trump is basically evil incarnate. Perhaps you might call him the Antichrist. Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Let's take a look at this little video that I made. Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Is he the guy from the book of Revelations, the father of lies? Uh, Well, 
He did make false or misleading claims more than 30,000 times during his presidency alone. And that was, of course, before January 6th when the big lie came out. So, father of lies, check. His family owns 666 Fifth Avenue, another check. He fooled millions of evangelical followers of Jesus, just as the beast is supposed to have done. He's got them wearing the mark of the beast on their forehead. And of course, he consorts with whores and criminals. Check, check, checkity, check, check. Now, I can't, of course, say if he is the Antichrist, but if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it smells like sulfur, he's probably the Antichrist. By the way, it was the book of Revelations that used the word whores. I understand that Stormy Daniels is to be referred to as a sex worker, but John the Elder was not super woke when penning his piece about the end of days which wound up in the Bible. All right. Anyway, moving on. My favorite story of the week has got to be the one out of Montana. Did you see this? A group of young people won a landmark lawsuit when a judge ruled that the state's failure to consider climate change when approving fossil fuel projects was unconstitutional. This is a another BFD. It's the first case to be one of its choice. They have been litigating this for more than a decade, which I think is um, just, it's nice to know that that as much as fascism has been on the mark, people fighting corporate fascism, and again, this death cult, has also, they've also been on the march, and now they've actually made the news cycle. Uh, the big deal about this, of course, is that it sets a precedent. The fossil fuel industries are fighting it tooth and nail. The judge presiding in the case went with the science that actually proves that things happening in Montana to put it mildly, don't just stay in Montana. Montana's got coal mining. They've got fossil fuel extraction. They've got a number of polluting industries that because of the amount that they pull out of the ground and use, except not just use, but pull out of the ground and sell and ship and et cetera, that that is affecting not only the rest of the world, but also the kids in Montana because of the bulk of it. And that is how they proved that... Um, that they're breaking their own constitution, which says that young people have a right to a healthful environment. And, the, and that's amazing. Now, be on the lookout for others. There are other states that have that written in their constitutions as well. So I would assume that industry lobbyists would start lobbying your state representatives to take out any kind of language that suggests that people who live there have a right to a healthful environment. So be on the lookout for that. They are not going to rest, uh, these fossil fuel folks. But this, again, does set a precedent. And it gives me hope. I guess that's enough just for a day. It, it's, it sets a precedent for other legal cases um, to protect the rights of children against corporations, especially now. Like, there's really no excuse anymore. You could be like, well, what else, how else are we going to light up our lights? How else are we going to keep the sign on 24 hours a day at Yogurtville so everyone knows it's there even when it's closed? How are we going to do these very important things for society without fossil fuels? Well, 
we can use the other technologies that are developed, are being developed, and we should and could transition as soon as possible. So that how we're going to do it thing is just not even a decent argument anymore, which is awesome. I'm thrilled. In an area that I'm not thrilled, but then, by the way, will turn into something that I'm thrilled about. Uh, now that the new school year is starting, we've got another story we've got to look into. Of course, DeSantis, DeFuhrer, DeSantis is in the news, along with other states, as the right wing tries to weaponize the education system, public education in our country. But of course, especially in Florida, uh, there was a story that didn't make much of a splash in the mainstream news. I did hear it on other shows on the Political Voices Network and on Tom Hartman's program. Other true progressive shows, not just like corporate progressive shows. Anywho, the story is that in addition to removing Black history and relationship-based materials like Romeo and Juliet, because apparently it's too hot and heavy after 400 years. <laughs> after 400 years of people reading it, it's just too hot and heavy for the curriculum. After removing Black history, Romeo and Juliet, and other things like that from the curriculum, Ron DeSantis and his minions have gone on to approve climate denial videos for use in schools. So that's great. Goodbye, science. They're adding this. Now, these videos are made by Prager University. The talking points are straight out of the fossil fuel company's playbook, the ones that they've been using to deny what they've been doing uh, in terms of destroying our world knowingly. The, you know, the ones you've heard before, here they are, right, right in this article in Scientific America. They are saying that climate activists are like Nazis, which is terrifying because they're going to start shooting them and putting them in jail. Uh, start, I guess they've already done that. I won't go into that cop city thing that where a climate activist was basically shot for loving what is supposed to be loved here in the world. Life. Another talking point, of course, wind and solar power pollute the earth and make life miserable, which is just right out of, again, the Goebbels playbook. Fossil fuels are lit literally polluting the earth and making life miserable. And they just turn that around and blame it on, blame it on the, I guess, what they see as their nemesis. The other talking point is that recent global and local heat records are reflecting natural temperature cycles that we've just never seen in our lifetimes because it's natural. <laughs> Florida is the first state to allow these Prager University materials in public schools. And I was taken aback when I read that Florida public schools have roughly 3 million students. That's more than the entire population of Kansas people. Florida's becoming a little baby fascist factory. And uh, somehow, as I was reading that, I was reminded of like the Lord of the Rings, where they're pressing out their fighting force, these evil orcs. They're just constantly making them. And I think that's where Florida, you know, that's where Florida comes in. They're just trying to make the next generation of hateful, not just not just ill-educated, not just poorly educated, but absolutely like the opposite of education and hateful little beings to come out of there. Here's this is what the orcs look like. 
in Lord of the Rings, by the way. They're just gross and disgusting. And uh, let I looked it up. In the Book of Lost Tales, the orcs were, uh, I thought this was kind of funny, bred from the heats and slimes of the earth. Boy, heat and slime. I think uh, Florida shores are covered with slime, if I remember correctly, in a recent story. And uh, it's blazing hot there, not just on land, but but in the water, too. So that 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 tracks. Uh, but then Tolkien changed this because he didn't want that sorcerer to be able to create life. So uh, I guess orcs were created from corrupted elves. I think that one tracks, too. DeSantis and his minions are trying to corrupt uh, the little people, the children. Anyway, it's... Oh, by the way, while I was looking up all this, this because I have to do research for this podcast, I was looking up my orc history and I found out, oop, not that one. I found out that um, <laughs> that uh, Elijah Wood said that Harvey Weinstein was used as inspiration for an orc in Lord of the Rings. Take a look, see. Now, I don't remember in the movie if this disgusting orc was sexually assaulting the actresses, but... I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. But here, look, there's some really good news. Not out of Florida, of course, but out of California. Let me move the orcs out of the way. You don't need to see them. The good news that I want to report in the education front is in California, they're starting to mandate media literacy be taught in schools. And that, of course, is the ability to think critically. I, somehow, that I feel that should already be taught in schools. But this is specifically about the ability to evaluate media for its truth content, to tell truth from falsehood, to source claims, and all of that good stuff. So in California, they're making smart, educated, media-savvy thinkers. And in Florida, they're making fascist orcs. <laughs> Who will win this battle for the future? Oh, by the way, back in that Florida story, the insidious thing that that those videos from Prager University are doing is that they also target parents themselves, saying, if you want to be a good parent, you have to be teaching your kids these things. And they they show the kids these videos, suggesting to them that any parent who is teaching facts is actually a bad parent. Now, I have kids of my own. Well, kid, I have a kid of my own. And anyone who has kids knows that um, they often don't want to listen to you. And that's where teachers come in because they're basically strangers and the kids have this sense of, uh, you know, being out in the world, being able to be independent, etc. And they will listen to the teacher. So this thing about splitting the parents from the kids, I find to be absolutely, absolutely disgusting. But back to the good news, our guest coming up today is coming on to talk about this movement for media literacy. It's actually going to be, as I said, mandated in California. His name is Nolan Higdon. He is a professor and an activist and an author. I've had him on my program before. He's always really interesting and fun to talk to. You've probably seen him on other outlets like MSNBC and different places, Let's take a listen. I just kind of jump straight into the conversation with him. Uh, so here's my bit of an intro, and then we'll take a listen. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Guess what California schools are doing? Bringing media literacy education to the schoolroom, trying to teach kids critical thinking, how to tell disinformation and misinformation from actual useful information, uh, useful to the democracy that we hope they will be participating in as they come of age, etc. But as with all good things here in the United States, the corporations are trying to get their talents into it and basically make it so that you think the way they would have you to think. How can we fight this? What's going on? What can we do? Nolan Higdon, a judge for Project Censored and a lecturer at Merrill College is joining us. He is also the author of many, many books, including Let's Agree to Disagree, a critical thinking guide to communication, conflict management, and critical media literacy. Stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. The drive to get media literacy in schools is finally coming to fruition. Talk about the fight for getting this to happen and why you think California is the first place that that is allowing it. Yeah, it's been quite a long fight for educators who have been concerned about uh, media. I mean, a lot of this dates back, quite honestly, since World War II, there's been an effort to try and get um, media literacy inside uh, U.S. schools. And for the most part, those advocating for media literacy have always kind of been um, treated as, uh, you know, sort of almost outsiders in educational spaces. Um, a lot of it has to do with kind of elitism in education. Folks think that, you know, rather than teaching students how to operate in social media or analyze films, they should be reading the classics. Um, we also have a lot of... Uh, they can't read you know, now. Decentralized education. <laughs> Getting, I mean, like the, they, they don't, they don't necessarily just want them reading the classics. They don't want them to read. So having, you know, uh, the, the, just the destruction of the public school systems, so that we don't have educated people to participate in our democracies, has has been alarming, shall we say. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And, and I think what you're speaking to is the, the political dimension of why there's been a lot of backlash to, to media literacy as well. Um, there, there's a lot of corporations, you know, Facebook, Apple, et cetera, who want to add media literacy to schooling, but their media literacy is just about getting students indoctrinated and socialized to using their platforms and, and tools. Um, where those of us who want to bring in a education that questions the power of those corporations and their influence in the classroom 
uh, that tends to be met with a lot of anger and resentment from educational districts and boards and administrators who are more than happy to sign contracts with these big companies for what they see as quote unquote free tools. Of course, nothing's free. They, they collect and weaponize student data um, and they teach a very this narrow- This disturbs me greatly as the mother of a seven-year-old girl who, you know, I, I tried to go no screens and then came the pandemic. So we, we inched in some screens there just for sanity and also education had to be done via screens. And now when you go to school, you know, they hand the kids an iPad saying, oh, look, um, we're giving, you know, public school kids a chance. Those who might not otherwise be able to, to afford this kind of technology. And then they give it to everyone in the school. It's sickening. Yeah, it is. It is quite um, sickening. It's also the way in which it's it's advertised. Right. If um, I told you tomorrow that the government was going to come around and put a tracking device in every student's pocket. You, you know, guys be organizing for revolution. Um, but when corporations do it under the auspice of education, all of a sudden everybody's gung ho to do it. Um, and I think it's a way of, <laughs> of kind of informing, um, you know, teachers and students and parents that these devices are not free. Um, these companies are not altruistic. It's, it's a profit making motive to get students used to these tools and uh, to surveil them constantly, to collect their data and analyze their data and things like that. The, the irony, though, of that point is um, a media literacy would be the exact type of classroom that would wake students, parents, and teachers up to that reality. But we simply just don't have that, that infrastructure. And we're an outlier. Um, a lot of the Western world and Asia and North Africa, they took this media literacy thing very seriously by the 1990s. Um, we did not. We, we we saw this big cultural shift in how we use media, and we didn't add anything to our education structure to compensate for that. What would a media uh, literacy curriculum look like for in a high school? I think you know there, there's uh, media literacy has has a lot of um, elements to it. So it depends on the classroom. So I do a lot of training with um, teachers. One of the first things I tell teachers is. I'm not here to add more work to your schedule. There, there's assignments you're already doing that could be replaced with a media literacy component. So you could teach the same things, the same skills, and also get, get media literacy. But at its very basic sense, you, you wanna teach um, students to start questioning all the media they analyze. You wanna disabuse to this idea that, oh, it's just entertainment, or this is objective. Everything has a message. Everything has some bias in it. Everything has some purpose behind it. And as a media user, once you realize that, you can start to see how and why a you know, media producer is trying to shape your perception of something. This could be as small as like a film where the, the, the message is, you know, love conquers all. So it can be good messages. Um, of course, there's more pernicious uses as well. Like we know that the military is heavily involved in the production of, of films in the United States uh, to give a happy face. That to explains a lot. <laughs> Sorry about yeah. that. That explains a lot. Yeah, uh, it's it started in the the nineteen eighties. Um, you know, when the the uh, public opinion of the military was at a nadir with um, after Vietnam, the military started getting involved in telling companies like, "Hey, we, you can use the coolest, newest military equipment in your film, but we get to check the script." And this was true for you know Top Gun, the original, and Red Dawn, and all the military films um, since then. So, you know, it's important to teach students, like when you go watch these films, you can enjoy them. We all get pleasure from media and entertainment, but just know that, you know, the military is funding this to indoctrinate you. How, how does that impact your perception of this film? 
Let me ask you something that might be a little off book here. When you are going into the schools to, to teach the teachers how to teach media literacy, are they by and large media literate themselves? Or are they kind of shocked at the kind of, um, you know, do they have a, a, a an awakened awakening moment while you're teaching it? Um, it, it depends. I mean, there's usually an awakening um, moment. Um, you, you know, you have to think when I, when I come in to, to talk about media to non-media literacy educators, uh, they generally have a happy view of media. They get a lot of pleasure from social media and using Google is very convenient and, and they love films and all these kinds of things. Um, so to come in and kind of show the different motives for the, for the creation of those platforms and, and content, um, you're kind of a wet blanket. Um, but uh, yeah, you're like, wah, wah, <laughs> this is mi military propaganda. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why, right. you know, I also, I also encourage um, in those trainings that, you know, media literacy is not about protecting students from media. It's about teaching students how to use media more responsibly. So it's important to pose questions in the classroom. Like if the social media we have now is not really social, what would an actual social media look like? Um, what would an internet culture look like that actually benefited our society and benefited your world? So I think playing with those questions to remind students that media doesn't have to be what it is. It could be anything. And that's a very important part of a media literacy education. Well, that's what we try to do here at the Political Voices Network. That's we're trying. We're trying. So uh, hopefully we're we're succeeding at that. Um, have you had pushback from, say, uh, any kind of political pushback? I noticed that this is landing first in California, which would be one of our more uh, progressive states in the country. Um, any any kind of political pushback? I recognize there'd be corporate pushback, but have they merged in order to make this about the woke agenda? Um, well, they've definitely um, pushed back, uh, they being corporations and politicians, on a lot of the work that I and others in my community do. Um, you know, especially in these times where, where corporate America has consumed so much of the public space, um, when we come in and we critique corporate influence on the classroom, we're almost seen as anachronistic, um, almost like we came from like the New Deal era or something. Um, so there's... <laughs> There's a lot of pushback. And in a state like California, it's particularly difficult because Silicon Valley funds the majority of politicians. So when we go in and talk to these politicians, they may agree with us. We may be convincing, but we don't have, you know, billions of dollars to throw at them. So that that disqualifies us. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, but as far as, you know, educators go, when you spend time with educators, they get it. I mean, you know, 
when you're in the classroom, they understand, they understand how curriculum can be manipulated. And so it's not a big jump when talking to teachers, but, but politicians is very, you know, difficult. You really have to start at, um, shall we say, kind of an, an earlier, more simplified explanation of media literacy before you can get into some of the, the details of why this corporate influence is so problematic for our students. You know, when I first, I teach media studies as well. When I first started teaching, it was in the, God to age myself here, but the John Stewart uh, host of um, Comedy Central's Daily Show era. And he was one of the first who was doing basically media literacy critiques and, um, you know, one of the things he did was got us all to have critical a critical look at what was happening in the media. And then it seems to have gone um, completely berserk and haywire where half the population or more than half, you know, for good reason, people don't trust the corporate media, given the corporate forces behind it. But now people seem to trust no media other than, say, Joe Rogan or some of these people who come off as being independent independent, do your own research types. What Could you speak a little bit to this this phenomena that, that is happening here? There's got to be good and bad to it because people are on the lookout for it. But now some of them were easily captured by the right wing rabbit holes. Yeah. And I think, and, and I, I agree with that. I think this is something that um, a lot of commentators missed in, in the Trump era. When, when Trump said fake news and uh, people were deriding all journalists as fake news. There was all this attention to blame Donald Trump for that. I saw it totally different. I saw it as, look, you guys have failed in your First Amendment responsibility. And this grifter being Donald Trump is just simply taking advantage of it and exploiting it for himself. He didn't create this problem. He's just weaponizing it for his own ends. And so I, I think that the, the press has to start taking a lot more responsibility they seem to often lambast and get frustrated with audiences for not knowing what the truth is or not believing their message. I turn that around and say, well, what have you done over the last 20, 30, 40 years to lose that trust? I mean, I'm a product of that lost trust. I, I was a college student in the run up to the second invasion of Iraq in 2003 and watching the media lie and manipulate people to support a war that we shouldn't be in and, and the death of and displacement of over a million Iraqis. That was a powerful message to me. I want to know more about media and propaganda. And I developed a skepticism for media. That wasn't something that some right wing demagogue taught me to do. I, I, I learned from my own experience. And that's, you know, squarely on the back of media. So that, that's, I think, a, a problem. But I, I think solutions are starting to emerge. And, you know, and you're, you're in this space um, as well. But I'm really excited about what's happening in a lot of the online spaces. The, the fragmentation of media has some problems and that, you know, it can allow non-authentic, non-researchers to, to create narratives that people believe. But on the other hand, we're seeing people attracted to these new voices, even voices they disagree with, just simply because they offer an alternative interpretation that's authentic. And I, I think this is why so many audiences gravitate toward Joe Rogan. I, I hardly think he has a monopoly on, on truth, but he does come off authentic. He does come off like as inquisitive um, I think a lot of people in the online space do that. And that's attractive versus the the corporate media that always acted like experts and they knew it, even when they were consistently getting things wrong one right after the other. I don't even know if they were getting it wrong. I mean, part, you know, the run up to the war and the basic front page lying uh, about weapons of mass destruction from the New York Times, the paper of record is... It's hard for me to believe that they got that wrong <laughs> or that, you know, this connect, it's this fuzzy connection between oops, 
oops, did we make a mistake? Or oops, all of the corporations of which we are connected, tied to, advertised with us, um, are pushing for war. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you're, um, you know, as a lot of people learned in 03, if you're one of the voices who's against the war, 0203, you get kicked off the air. I mean, that happened to Donahue, right. that happened to Jesse Ventura, you know, more or less happened to Chris Hedges, although there was other issues there. But these these folks um, got removed. And those people who stayed on the air and used official sources and didn't challenge the war, you kept your job. So um, the incentives are, are clearly to go with what the majority is saying. And, and I think that's still happens today in a litany of, of areas. Uh, Nolan Higdon, you are a judge for Project Censored. Project Censored just came out with a podcast, did they not? Uh, well, they, they have their, their, yeah, their radio show they release in podcast form as well, yeah. Yeah, that's really great. I, I don't know why I'm so behind on knowing about that, but I was thrilled when I saw it scroll up in my Twitter feed, so very happy to, to see that. Um, are, will you still be coming out with the most censored stories of the year? Yes. Uh, so the, the project um, still is running strong. Uh, you know, globally, we get you know hundreds of stories that students and faculty submit and the top 25 um, go in the book every year. And there's tons of other great chapters and articles from original writers in the book analyzing media from the previous year. So it, it you know, like we always say, the project, unfortunately, we remain relevant. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you remain relevant. Well, I'm glad I'm grateful that you have it. We always cover it every year. And it's great to have you on the program. Any final thoughts as we move into this um, potential new ground of having media literacy taught at at least one school in California? Yeah, I think with, with so much, um, you know, discussion right now about, you know, so-called life skills in schools, I, I think media literacy is clearly a life skill. Um, you know, polls show people are using media between 10 and 14 hours a day um, in, in some. Wow. Studies. Are there that many hours in a day? <laughs> I guess, How I many guess. are left after that? Not sleeping. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's it's a major part of, of people's lives. So I encourage, um, especially parents, to, to kind of look at some of this curriculum. Um, you know, what what is being taught about media? Are, are all the power dynamics of media being investigated? Encourage your, your kids to ask media about media. I still say the best uh, media lesson I received when I was a young kid, I was um, begging my mom to buy something after a commercial I saw. And she told me, you can't always trust those commercials. That thing probably doesn't work. And I was like, wow, like commercials lie. Um, so it was I one mean, of those. I went to the grocery stores. store with my daughter and she was like, can I have some of those? Whatever they were, brightly colored, packaged, whatever. And I said, well, those are poison, basically. <laughs> I'm like, it's sugar, pesticides, and they fry it all together. And she goes, well, why do they sell it then? And I think she was or, you know, um, so, so anyway, I'm a, you know, I study this kind of thing anyway, so I, maybe it rubbed off, but, um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good media literacy lesson though. I mean, I think that's the kind of like important work that we don't often value, but those kinds of little conversations I think are, are very, very impactful. And I hope we have more of them. It's really this critical thinking skills, these critical thinking skills that I think the power of uh, corporate influence into our schools, they don't really want critical thinkers pressed out of there. They want people to just go deliver the Amazon goods and then buy them. You know, that's that's it. That's what they're pressing out of our schools. So you're doing, you know, uh, happy to hear your comment about that. But I just want to say that, you know, just to move this kind of thinking into schools. You get it in colleges a lot, but not everybody goes to college. Um, 
I think it's great what you're doing to to pre- to move this forward into into the education system in the U.S. So thank you for that. Thank you, thank you very much. And I and I um, you know I hear you. Yeah, so much of schooling, especially higher ed, has been focused on um, job preparedness, and I agree that that basically what they want to produce is obedient workers versus critical. Um, thinkers. But we should also remember that um, another purpose for education was serving the public good and and making good citizens. And um, whether you like it or not, media influences the way you think about your government, your society, and and your culture. And so being media literate can help you be a better participant in your your democracy. And so we need to also remind ourselves that the purpose of education is to serve our democracy, not just job skills. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Uh, Noel, Nolan Higdon, lecturer at Merrill College. You have so many books. Are those all the? Are those all your books? Behind? I actually, have, I'm on vacation right now. Vacation. So um, my normal library has four of your books in it. Oh, wow. um, but did you write all those ones behind you? Oh no, these are all, these are all just the ones I read. They're for show. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like a sheet. You pull it oh, yeah. down. And it's cool. I rent them for Thanks so interview. much. Thank I appreciate you coming on, really. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Always a pleasure. You too. You too. Take care. You're watching the Juliana Forlano Show on the Political Voices Network. Thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in to the Juliana Forlano Show podcast. You can follow me on Twitter if you're new to the Political Voices Network. On YouTube, go there. There's a lot of great talkers there. There's other folks like me, not like me, but I'm definitely there. So subscribe, hit the like button, hit the bell, all the things that you do when you're on YouTube. And if you're listening to me on one of the many podcast platforms where you can find me, definitely subscribe to me there too. I appreciate it. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time. I am on every Friday. And also I do some newscasts over on the YouTube at Political Voices during the week. I mean, there's a writer strike going on. There's a dearth of comedy. If you need some, come to me.